Hey everyone, I'm Brian Treadaway, the pastor at Vertical Church. It's our desire here to lift him up and live him out. We hope today's broadcast will inspire you to do the same. So enjoy today's message. Glad you're here with us today at Vertical Church. And I'm glad to be back here today. Man, last week I was sick and out. It was bad. Thank you for praying. And thank you so much for Kyle Rogers filling in. Awesome job. Heather and I got, yeah, give him a hand. It was so good. I was uh, in bed, but Heather and I were watching online. So, uh, man, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm grateful for... uh, Kind of back to school time, August, people come back to church, finish vacations and all that stuff, and we're here. Today, we're actually finishing up our Seeing Red series. We've been talking about the the destructive nature of anger and how to overcome it in our life through God's strength. I know we've all watched online and on TV the sadness of the uh, wildfires in California, and it's kind of hard to take in that the scope of that kind of destruction. I was reading some of the numbers on it. Over one million acres damaged in 2018. A million acres. 1,000 homes damaged, 14 deaths now blamed on the wildfires. It's tragic to think that uh, it started somewhere small. It started with one spark. It started with one flame. We've seen through this series how anger can be like that destructive spark and initial flame. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that our words can be like a fire. In the book of James it says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, spotting, staining, soiling all the body, and inflaming the course of nature and being inflamed by hell. A heart that is given to anger becomes destructive when its words and its actions flow from that place. You know, it's a funny thing that happens. It, all, it usually starts with some kind of injustice. It usually starts when something happens to us that we didn't think was right, that we didn't think was fair. And it could range from the real simplistic where it's you travel down the highway and someone gets in your spot on the highway, you know, your spot, you know. It's got your name on it, right? Your spot. Or maybe it happens at work where someone else got the promotion that was yours. Or someone else offended you in some way and took the reputation that you said was yours. Something happened, something was unfair, something was unjust, and you lost it in that moment and you literally lost it because of that. And there's something almost kind of satisfying when that happens about trying to be the one who gets the payback, right? Isn't there something inside that makes you want to cause the other person to have to pay for what they did to you, for embarrassing you, for hurting you, for taking something from you, whatever it is? There's something inside that just makes you want to just get them back in that moment. I read about a um, a truck driver who stopped at a truck stop. He was hungry, wanted something to eat, went in, sat down, minding his own business, enjoying hamburger and fries, of course, it's great. And he said this, the story says these motorcycle gang came in and they come in looking for trouble and they're harassing people there in the restaurant and the truck stop and they choose him as their target and they begin harassing him and he's trying to just not say anything, not do anything and pretty soon they've taken his food, they've tried to rough him up and he just quietly gets up and walks out. He don't want any part of it, he just walks out. 
Of course, the, the, the gang, you know, they're all like laughing at him and they say to the waitress, man, he's, he's no kind of man, is he? He's, he's not any kind of man. He just walks away like that. And the waitress said, yeah, apparently he's not that much of a good driver either. either. He just backed over six motorcycles with his 18-wheeler, <laughs> right? And there's something inside you feel like, yeah, way to go, man. You, you just want to get them back in that moment. There's something inside this internal sense of justice, and I think it's probably even heightened once you become a believer. There's a sense of justice you want to see done. But there's something very interesting in Scripture that is a call and a command for us as believers. And that call and command is this. Payback is not your responsibility. Mm. Payback is not your responsibility. Now that's difficult, especially in this day, in this culture. This is the culture of, if you hurt my feelings, I'm going to sue you. This is the culture of, if you do something to me that I don't get my way, I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to make you suffer. I'm going to make you pay back. I'm going to make you pay back more than what you took from me. This is the day of payback. Just watch a little bit of daytime TV next time you're sick, and you'll see a lot of court, court shows. And their people eat up with payback. They've got to make someone pay for what they've done. In that moment, what we are doing is we are assuming we are the jury. We determine what's right and what's wrong. We are the judge. We're going to set the punishment. And we're the executioner. We're going to see that they pay for what they did to us. And so what we naturally do is we start this list inside our head. We start this running tally of people who have hurt us, right? It's almost kind of like um, if you worked in an office back in the 80s and 90s, we called it a Rolodex, right? <laughs> Students today have no clue what that is. Rolodex was a good friend though, right? You kept all your, your contacts in there. You just spin that wheel and flip to the G, the L, whatever it was, and there was your, all your important information. People keep in their minds today a Rolodex of people who have hurt them. And they can scan to it in a minute and just remember, I remember exactly what they did. I remember where I was. I remember them. I see their face. I see it right now. We keep this list of who hurt us, we keep a list of what they did. We remember how it felt. We remember the moment. We remember who was standing around. We remember the embarrassment. We remember the shame. We remember the loss, and we keep a catalog of all of that. And then we make a third list. We make a list of what we hope to do to them one day. Boy, if I get the moment. One day I'm going to have that shot. And boy, when I do, here's what I'm going to say. You know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody else think identify with me this morning? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we keep the list of who. We keep the list of what they did. And we keep the list of what we're going to do. And the funny thing is, the first two don't change much. We know who it was. We know what they did. But that third list, we're always adding to, right? Well, I'm gonna, no, you know what? I'm going to say this instead. I think this will even be better. No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. this. This will really, that's what happens to us. We start keeping these lists. And before you know it, you have eaten up almost every bit of your mental and emotional energy keeping the lists. 
and all of a sudden it consumes you. This is all you're about, is replaying what's happened to you, replaying what's been done to you, and replaying all the different ways you're going to get them back. And we think, I'm going to make them pay. You know, it's a crazy thing living in the world today that stuff like that is going to happen to us. Just because you become a believer in Jesus Christ does not exempt you from people hurting your feelings. Amen? It doesn't exempt you from going through some difficult times. It doesn't exempt you from going through some loss. In fact, Jesus kind of upped the game and, and it teaches in the New Testament, it teaches in his teachings that all those who actually live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You're going to face some unfair treatment. You're going to face some injustices. It's part of who we are now as believers in Jesus Christ. But the key is that payback is not ours. Today we're going to look at a, a truth about our God. We're going to discover something that maybe you've known, but today I'm praying you see in a new light. You know, it's when we come to know God for who he is and trust him for who he is that it really begins to free us and change us. Here's the big truth I want us to get today. That God reigns with justice. Our God is a God of justice. He is at his nature holy, he is righteous, and he is sovereign. In other words, he rules over all eternity. He is not distant. He is not removed. He is active in the affairs of man today. And the fact that he is holy and that he is sovereign, you put those together and you get this act of justice where God sees to it that every sin ever committed in the past, committed today, or committed in the future will be paid for. It will. You may say, well, I haven't seen that person who hurt me have to pay yet. That's okay. God is a God of justice. He will see that every sin is paid for. He has to by his very nature as God, as a God of glory, as a God of holiness and righteousness. It demands that sin always be paid for. And so the sins of those who've hurt you they will be paid for. They will be brought to a place of justice. And I'll just go ahead and kind of lay this out there to begin with right now. Listen to me. They will either be paid for by faith in Jesus Christ that sets them free, or they'll be paid for in hell one day because they refuse to acknowledge the death of Jesus Christ for their sins. But they will be paid for. Our role as believers is to trust God to be the one who gets justice and brings payback and that it is not our responsibility. Now, follow me in some scripture passages here. The book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2. God is jealous and the Lord avenges 
the Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. This is a truth about our God. We look in the book of Isaiah chapter 59 and it says, For he, our God, has put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet for salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with, a, with zeal as a cloak. He wears the very garments of vengeance. He is the God who sees that justice is done. And in perhaps one of the most poignant, pointed, comforting yet challenging verses regarding the justice of God, we see these very few words from the book of Deuteronomy in the law where God says this, vengeance is mine. In other words, payback is mine. It's not yours. It's mine. God says, this is, this is woven into the, the very nature of who I am. I will ensure that justice is accomplished. And all vengeance is his alone. The culture today lives with self-gratification. Claiming itself to be God, that there is no God. Therefore, it says, I will take care of myself. I will get vengeance. I will get the payback. So we live in a day that is just rampant with people demanding their way, demanding their rights, and insisting that every offense be paid back. And they are the ones who execute it. And I'm telling you, Christians... We have to be careful to not buy into their ways. We have to not be those who are like them. We have to be the people of God who say payback is not in my hands. Payback by God's promise and by his very nature is his. He alone is the one who claims this responsibility. Now, let me say, there are those that God has given the responsibility of enacting justice, payback, and wrath here on this earth. Romans 13 says this in reference to those who are rulers, governmental leaders, what we would even refer to as police today. Romans 13, for he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, listen, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We have people put in place in our culture, in our society. We didn't establish them. God has established them for the purpose of executing justice. But what I'm talking about today happens on a personal level. It happens here in our heart. It happens for every one of us because there are times we will be offended, we'll be led to see red, and in that moment, you have to trust God for the payback. He will be the one who brings it to pass in his time. 
There is nothing that gets the heart of a person so riled up on a low boil, even a high boil, as when they have assumed the responsibility of payback is all theirs. But there's nothing that settles the child of God more and frees them from anger than when they realize payback is in God's hand. All right, so today our passage is Romans chapter 12. Turn your Bibles there with me. If you have your iPad, iPhone, digital device with your Bible app, Romans chapter 12 is where we are today. We're beginning later in the chapter, verse 14, then on down to verse 17. Verse 14 says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We're right away, we're 12 chapters in to an incredibly rich doctrinal book of Romans, and we're making some application here, and the Apostle Paul says, look, when you're persecuted, when you're treated unfairly, when the injustice happens to you, here are your instructions as a child of God. When they persecute you, your role is to bless them. It's not your time to curse, to curse them. It's your time to bless them. Verse 17, he's going to get more practical. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written... Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20 and 21. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's stop and pray right here because I want God's word to come alive and speak to us today. I want us to make application today. I don't want this just to be another service. I don't want this just to be another religious moment, but something where we meet with the person of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we recognize already the, the great contrast between your ways and the world's ways. The great contrast between what is natural to us as sinners and what is natural to you as God. This morning, I pray that your spirit would speak to us, that your word would come alive in us, that we would walk in obedience to it, that we'd set our sights not on those around us this morning, but only on you. Speak, Lord. Open our eyes. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let's break this passage down. How do you, how do you get free from seeing red? I'll make a few points this morning as we dive into this passage. The first part is this. If you want to be free from seeing red, you've got to lay down the list. The Apostle Paul was very clear. He said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. If you want to be free from seeing red, you have to make the conscious choice of laying down the list. Putting away the Rolodex. You've got to stop replaying the people, the places, the events, the circumstances that made you see red. 
It's not your responsibility to get payback. It's not your responsibility to see that they even remember what they did to you. Isn't it funny how we keep the list and the other person may has no clue what they even did, but boy, we sure do. And we look for those moments. We're waiting for those conversations if they just happen to be around. We're just waiting for that moment to get that well-placed, properly planned zinger in, right? You know what I'm talking about? You think, boy, if I just had the moment, oh, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And you just get ready just to lay it out there, you know. In that moment, you've got to lay down the list. That is you trying to get payback. That is you intercepting God's past that he's trying to make. That is you stepping in where God has claimed exclusive rights. Payback is mine. Put down the list. Stop thinking in terms of you've got to get the payback. Stop replaying the tape. Stop rewinding it. Stop playing it. Stop reliving the emotions. Stop keeping up with it. It, There's a crazy thing that happens if you keep on replaying it. If you keep those faces in front of you. It does a weird thing to us. It actually puts us in a place where we begin to think that everybody is out to get us. It really does. You start thinking that everybody knows your weaknesses, and that they're trying to exploit them, that they know how to all push your buttons. I'm telling you, I'm not discrediting the people around you. They don't think that much about you, though. (laughs) You're thinking way more about the situation than you need to. You're giving all of them way more credit than they need to have. It's you. You've thought about it for so long. You've replayed it for so long. You've actually convinced yourself that everybody is out to get you. You have to lay down the list. You just, you almost hear the emotion in the Apostle Paul. He says, beloved, beloved, those loved by God, do not, do not avenge yourselves. Stop the payback. You're wearing yourself out. You're using all your emotional energy. You're wasting all this time, and it's affecting you. It's changing the way you look. It's making you have this look of anger and bitterness wherever you go. It's changing you. It's causing health problems in you. It's making it where your relationships are all awkward because you assume that they're all out to get you, and they don't even probably don't have a clue what you're talking about But boy, you have so shaped the story in your mind that this is the way it is, that you've completely messed things up. So someone tries to just have a conversation with you, and boy, you just just explode. You're just like, hey, wait. You just get back in someone's face all of a sudden, like, hold up, hold up. What you got upset about? It's because you live on the edge all the time. You've convinced yourself that You've got to be the one to get payback, and so therefore you've created this little defense system. You've got your missile system in place. You're ready to take somebody down the minute they get near. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Now hear me clearly. 
by me saying, or scripture saying, do not avenge yourselves, it does not negate the fact that something painful happened to you. I am not insisting this morning that you forget what happened. I am not suggesting to you that it wasn't wrong. I am not suggesting that they don't need to pay. But what I am suggesting is what Scripture says. It's not your role to execute payment yourself. It's God's. So you take your hurt. You take what happened. You take your feeling and desire for payback. And you consciously say, God, because of who you are, because of what you've said about yourself, I am laying down my right to get payback. There's an interesting thing that happens. When you lay it down, God picks it up. I'm going to show you a passage here in just a minute that speaks more about that, but let's go on. First he says here, beloved, do not avenge yourself. But the second thing he says in the verse is this, but, in other words, instead, rather give place to wrath. In other words, you're going to need to create space for God to work. You choose by faith to step back and not be the one to get payback. And now the second thing is you intentionally give place, create a space, carve out a room, leave a place for God to work. You surrender your will in it and you let him do his will in it. But you're gonna have to consciously do this and not just one time. You're gonna have to do it every time the thought comes back again. I'm not going to be the one to get payback here. And I'm going to give place, carve out room for God to work. So let me just free you of some things here this morning. The first one is this. You do not have to be the one to remind the other person of what they did. That's not your responsibility. God will take care of that. You do not have to be the one to point out what they did. You don't have to be the one who is spiteful back to them. You don't have to be the one to have to teach them a lesson. You don't have to be the one that has to prove your point. You don't have to be the one who justifies yourself. God is the avenger. He has said, vengeance, payback is mine. Our call is to release that and let God have the space. So that means you back off. You let God take care of it. If you need to put up some boundaries around that person to keep you out of the situation, do that. Keep the space. It's not your responsibility. Give place, give room, back off, let God take care of the work. Let him be the one who convicts. Let him be the one who corrects. Let him be the one who brings about any kind of restoration. 
Now, here's the verse I was telling you about. From the book of Proverbs 24, 17 and 18. Jot that down. You're going to want this later. Proverbs 24, 17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him. Watch this. And he turn away his wrath from him. So something's happened, an injustice has occurred, the person needs to have their, their ways corrected. They need to have to know what they've done. It's not your responsibility to get the payback. You back off, do not avenge yourself, give place to wrath, and then choose consciously to not be happy when they hurt or to try to be the one who executes the hurt. Because the minute you pick it back up and say, I'm going to prove them, I'm going to show them a thing or two, that verse I just read to you says that the moment you pick it back up, God will put it back down and he'll walk away. You see, only one of you can hold payback. And you either surrender it to God and let him take care of it, or you pick it up into your hand and he says, oh, you want it? All right. Go right ahead. Now get all that comes with that. I'll be over here until you're finished. That's what Proverbs 24, 17 and 18 is saying. Give place. Create space. And don't get back in that space. This is how you free yourself from destructive anger. The next part of the verse says this. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, you choose to not get payback, you create space, you give place to wrath, and then you trust God to work. You trust God's promise. That's what he makes here. He says, vengeance is mine, it belongs to me. I will repay. You can trust him on it. He's good for it. I've tried it. It works. I've tried the other. It doesn't work so well. He says, I will repay. You can trust God to do that. But it requires such faith. Because you're going to have to believe God above all of the painful emotions you're feeling. You're going to have to believe God instead of all this sense of unfairness that you want to act out on. You're going to have to believe God instead of wanting to just let somebody have it. But this is the essence of faith. It is trusting in what is unseen. It is trusting the promise above the problem at hand. It's the very thing that great men and women of faith have done throughout the scripture. It's what, it's what Abram did when he was given a promise that he would be the father of nations and he was barren and so was his wife. There was no way they were gonna have any children, but God spoke, gave a promise, and life came. So in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your deep hurt, in that moment, you trust God only. You don't trust in anyone else you don't trust in your ability to try to get justice. You stop and think about it. If God says this is who he is, 
and he's given this kind of promise. Who are we? Who are we to think that we know better than the sovereign ruler of all eternity? Who are we? Who are we to think we know the best timing for the way things ought to play out? Who are we to think we know the best thing to say? No matter how many days, months, or years you've rehearsed it and planned what you're going to say in that moment, who are we to think we know all things that are best? Who are we to think we know better than the God who has said, I will repay? Who are we to think that we know better than all of the things that have gone on behind the scenes. All the things that led up to that moment. All the things that are going to transpire after that moment. Who are we to say, God, I got this. I think I can do this. I'm going to take care of this on my own. Who are we to think that? Who are we to think that we can reach up into God's hand and say, give me that responsibility for payback. I'll take it. I can do it better than you. God says, trust me, believe me, I will see that there is payback. You can trust me. The next part is equally as challenging, if maybe not more so. As the passage continues in verse 20, it says this. Therefore, in other words, based on all these things, You've chosen to not be the one who gets payback. You've given room to wrath for God to work. You have trusted his promise. And then God says this. Now, therefore, if you notice that while you're giving space, while you're removing your hand off the situation, if in that moment you notice your enemy is hungry... This is not your moment to laugh. This is not your moment to take advantage. This is not your moment to swoop in for the kill. The scripture says, if you notice your enemy is hungry, feed him. Well, I mean, I can understand someone who's hurting and, and, and you know, they've really tried hard and, 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 and they really need some help and they're hungry and they've, they've really worked and they just hadn't really been able to put it all together. No, this is your enemy This is the one who's been out to get you. This is the one who has plotted against you. This is the one who has hurt you. This is the one who has done wrong. And the scripture says, when you see him hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. If you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard a lot of different versions of what this verse means. You might have heard some stories about, well, this is actually a helpful thing. Because when someone needed to carry fire back to their village, they would put this platter on their head and carry it, and they had no way of getting the hot coals up onto the platter. And so you were helping them by scooping it up on there, and then you carrying them carrying it back to their village. You were actually helping them in that moment. Great story. No historical justification for it. It's just not there. You can look, but it's not there. 
But what I do know is this. Coals of fire from beginning to end of the Bible are all pictures of judgment and wrath. This is an enemy. So what is happening here is an instruction to bless when people persecute you. To feed those who are hungry when they are your enemy even. Because when you do that, he says, you are having the effect of heaping coals of fire onto their head. You are cooperating with God in this moment because you are blessing those who persecute you. You're doing good to those who are your enemy. There is no greater picture of the gospel than when you are doing good to the one who is the enemy. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of the cross, God loved us. So what happens here is when you choose to intentionally be kind, good, and help your enemy even in time of need, while he is still angry, hateful, and against you, and maybe against God, what you are doing is helping him, in reality, have to deal with his own sin. You were causing him to have to deal with his own guilt between him and God. Through your kindness, not your meanness. Through your goodness, not your judgment. Do you hear me? That's how the gospel is lived out. You are helping him by removing yourself as the one who continues to be mean and cruel and vengeful and sarcastic and reminding him, you're not helping anybody in that situation but yourself. You take your hands off and you be ready to be kind and good in that moment. You'll be cooperating with God and that person will be left all alone to have to deal with their sin before God and the wrath that is on them and God willing bring them to a place of repentance. This is how you get free from anger. This is how you stop seeing red. Let me just play out a scenario for you here. I've hinted at it. Let me just tell you what has happened or will happen to you. The first is this. You're going to be treated unfairly. You're going to be mistreated, taken advantage of, hurt, offended, and falsely accused. It happens in this life. Amen? Nobody in this room has not had this not happen to them. And there's nobody in this room who will be excused from this ever happening to you again. It's going to happen to you. And in that moment, you'll remember that time and you'll wait for the day to get them back and make them pay and make them see they were wrong. That's what you'll do. You'll look. The second step is you'll remember that moment and wait for the day to get them back. Third, you'll be absolutely right in that moment. You'll be innocent and just in the situation and they will be completely and undeniably wrong. It'll happen. You'll have a moment like that. You'll be right and they'll be wrong. And then next one day, you will have the perfect opportunity for the jab, the dig, the insult, the payback, 
that finally sets things right because you've planned for it. You've waited for it. You've dreamed of it. And in that long-awaited moment where you make things right and prove your point, God will say, stop. I've got this. He'll say, stop. I know you're right. I know you know the right things to say. I know you've planned for it. I know you think you've got this. But vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And then God is going to call you to do the most unexpected. To bless the very one who hurt you and to do good to them. I read a story some time back about a man who had this experience. I want to tell you that story this morning. It's a great picture of what every one of us have struggled with, will face, and what to do. I want to talk to you about pineapples. The story is about a missionary and his family who moved to New Guinea to reach a people group who had never experienced the gospel before. And so they moved there, began to learn the language and culture of the people, immersed themselves in it, dressed like them, began to learn their language, wrestled through some of that in hopes of one day being able to share the gospel with them. It takes time as a missionary to do that, to gain trust, to live amongst the people, as Jesus did, tabernacle among them, to learn their ways. And so this family decided, you know, perhaps one of the best ways to help would be to create a, uh, a clinic where we can help them care for their sick. And we'll create a, a small store where it'll just, it'll help them provide for some of their basic needs. We're not here to make any money, but it'll help them learn some responsibility. And so they, they created all of this. They began to live this life there amongst them and saw great relationships developing and prayed for the day that the gospel could come alive for these people. There came a day when the man said, you know what, I would really, I would love to have some pineapples. I miss that from the States. If I could just have some pineapples. So he arranged for pineapple plants to be brought in. The people living there had only heard of them and never seen them, and he, wanted, he really wanted some pineapples for himself, some for them, mostly for himself. So he brought in these pineapple plants, and he paid some of the locals to come in and help plant them. Pretty soon he had a pineapple garden. It takes time for pineapple plants to develop. Some say as many as three years for them to get to the place where they truly will produce fruit, good-sized fruit. So this man did that. He worked the garden three long years, all the while getting to know the people, all the while sharing life with them, all the while caring for their sick, trying to be a picture of Jesus to them. Three years pass. He and his wife are watching for the moment. Soon the day will come when it'll be time to pick the pineapples. It's going to be an amazing day, he thought. He determined tomorrow would be the day. He and his wife would go out and pick the pineapples. Went to bed that night, got up the next morning, went out to the pineapple patch and looked, and there were no 
pineapples. The villagers had come in, stolen all of them. Oh, you can imagine. You just try to imagine three years of labor, working, longing, smelling, wanting to taste some pineapple. And you go out, and they've all been stolen. This man, though he was a missionary, loses it. What are you people doing? You stole all our pineapples. Bring them back here. And they said, no. We help plant them. We get to eat them. <laughs> what? He says, that's not how it works. I paid you to work. No, we planted them. We get to eat them. He said, you're crazy. And it just, it just went all over him. He's the guy seeing red all of a sudden. And he is so angry at them. And he's yelling and just saying, I'm, I'm sick of you people. We've tried to care for you and you steal all of our stuff. We brought all this here for you and you take it all. I'm, I'm done with you people. He, he thought about it. What am I going to do to prove my point? What am I going to do to teach them a lesson? He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut down the store. I'll show them. You don't come here and take our stuff and then come to our store. In fact, I'm going to close the clinic down too. You don't come around here and steal all of our stuff and expect us to keep doing good for you, just to keep letting you have stuff. Just keep being nice to you when you steal all of our stuff. More pineapples grew. Same thing happened again. They came back and stole the pineapples. This missionary is done with it all. He's like, God, what is going on here? How can I care for these people when they're stealing my stuff? They're stealing our pineapples we've worked so hard to get. He said, I know what I'm gonna do now. I'm gonna get a dog. I'm gonna put, put him out here. And if they come anywhere around this place, he's gonna get them. So he got the meanest dog he could find and he posted him out there in the pineapple garden. And sure enough, it worked. Now, he finally had all the pineapples he wanted. But guess what he did not have anymore? People from the village. No one came around anymore. No store, no clinic, no pineapples. So they all went to live in the jungle. He didn't see them anymore. Isn't it funny how sometimes in our rage we end up getting what we want and we realize that wasn't really what I wanted. That's what it did for him. Frustrated, angry, depressed, no people to care for. He came back to the States for furlough. I gotta, I gotta rethink this whole thing. Maybe, maybe I'm not called to even be a missionary. What am I thinking? Maybe I'm in the wrong place. Maybe I've screwed this whole thing up. Now what am I going to do? While he's home, he goes to hear a man preach the gospel. A man discuss the scriptures. A man use the same truths we're talking about today. He heard the truth that God has reserved alone the right of payback. It's not ours. And this man was convicted of what he had done. He had lost it to all these people. Kind of blown the whole 
gospel story from his life. Messed up. He said, I should have never have done that. And that night, the man surrendered his right for payback. He said, God, I have taken what is yours. I've assumed I knew better than you. I've taken up into my hands what was in your hands. And tonight, I'm laying it down. Some time passed. The man was renewed in his calling, went back to New Guinea, went back to the pineapple garden. And late one night, he went out there and said, God, I've surrendered my right for payback, but tonight I'm taking an extra step. I surrender these pineapples to you. They're yours. If you want me to have pineapples, I'll have pineapples. If you don't want me to have pineapples, that's okay too. I'll trust you. With the man back, the natives soon returned from the jungle. Next night, all the pineapples stolen. I told you, just because you surrender to God doesn't mean they're going to stop. He lost all of his pineapples again. But this time something was different because he remembered that he had surrendered payback and pineapples to God. So, okay, God, I gave these to you, and you let them be stolen again. Apparently, that's what you want. So, I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to seek payback. Soon, the natives came, and they began to talk with him and say, Hey, um, how come you're not yelling at us? We stole your pineapples. How come you're not losing it? How come you're not chasing us? How come you don't have the dog out here anymore? How come you open the clinic again? How come you open the store again? What's happened to you? Did you become a Christian? And the man said, what? 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 I've been a Christian for 20 years. What do you mean? Did I become a Christian? Well, you're not angry anymore. It looks like something happened to you. And the man said, well, something did happen to me. He said, I, I gave the pineapples away. And they said, really? Who did you give them to? We got to know who we're stealing from. And the man said, I gave them to God. They're his pineapples now. I'm going to let him do with them what he wants to do with them. And the native said, you gave them to God? What did you do that for? Are you crazy? That, that explains why our people are all sick all of a sudden. That explains why we can't go out and hunt anymore. That explains why when we go fishing, we don't catch anything. You see, when you give place to wrath, God will move in and do what he needs to do. Right? He said, I can't believe you did that. He said, I, I gave them to God. And they said, well, there's more pineapples that are ripe right now. 
aren't you going to pick them? He said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to. Really? Why not? He said, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think I'm going to. And they said, well, we'll help you, and you can have some too. They all went out and picked pineapples that day. And they all sit down afterwards together. And the man was able to pray and say, God, I thank you for pineapples that you have given. I thank you for the gift of your son. He was able to share the gospel with them. And in that moment, then they believed. Many of those people in the village put their faith in Jesus Christ that day. And it changed forever a village and a culture because one man was willing to believe God and not have to be the one who executes payback, but trust him to do that. Now, we all have pineapple gardens in our life today. You all, we all have areas where we've been hurt, where we've assumed it was our role to pay back. That place may be on the highway for you. That place may be in your home. That place may be your marriage where you've made it your goal to try to prove your point, make them pay, make them suffer. It may be in your parenting. It may be in your family. It may be in your dreams for tomorrow. It may be someone has hurt you. It may be something from your childhood. It may be something lodged deep in your heart. And you have up to this point right now have assumed it was your responsibility to make someone pay for what they did to you. But right now in this moment, you are believing the scriptures and what God says. And you're saying, okay, God, I want to be like this man who surrendered the right for payback and free my heart from living red. I'll remind you of our points today and then we're gonna close in prayer. It might be that you need to lay down the list today. It may not be one on pen and paper, but you sure know it's written in your mind. And today God is saying it's time to put down the list. It might be that it's time for you to create space for God to work and get your hands off the situation. It's time for you to trust God to do what he said he will do. And it's time to even bless them in the midst of when they are your enemy. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I know this is a very personal, a very intimate thing that's happening here this morning because it's, this is not just talk. This is not just empty teaching. This is the truth of Scripture and the reality of God intersecting with our lives. You've had some areas in your life where you have wrestled and you fought and it's eaten up all your emotional energy it's taken over your day it's taken over your night you can't sleep it's changed your relationships because you have become fixed on seeing red but today God is saying it's time it's time to release into my hands what belongs to me It's time to let me do what I do. 
time to let it go into his hands. Would you just pray right now and say, God, I am taking my hands off. I will no longer be the one who has to get payback. Would you also say, God, I will give room, I will give place for them to experience you. And God, I'll trust your promise that you are the one who says that vengeance and payback belong to you. And God, I'll even take the next step of looking for the moment when they're in need, when they are hungry, when they are thirsty. Father, I am keenly aware that there is real spiritual warfare going on right now in this moment. The enemy would not want us to hear your truth and surrender to it. The enemy would not want us to believe that you really can take care of us. That you really will be the one who protects there's payback. I thank you that ultimate payback is at the cross. Ultimate payback is when sins are forgiven. And Jesus alone is the one who faced the greatest injustice. He took the payment for all wrong. So this morning, Father, we come to surrender our will, surrender our rights and surrender even our own pineapple gardens to you that we might be a people who live free that we might be a people who live with faith that we might be a people who trust you above ourselves and above everything else that we might draw close today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.